Hello, my friends. This is Brian Q. Davis broadcasting from the Sales Warrior Podcast, a conversation about dominating your marketplace without sacrificing your body, your marriage, your children, or your soul. And on today's very special episode, I welcome my good friend and brother, Derek Keller of the Battlefield Boardroom. Welcome, Derek. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, Thanks man. for having me. It is great to, uh, to have you here. Uh, Derek is a former Marine. He's a sales executive. He's a father of seven. He's an executive coach and consultant for numerous businesses and industries. And he's someone I, uh, I love and respect as a brother who I've gone through a lot of things with in the last couple of years um, and have deep admiration and honor for what he's doing and his mission. And so it's really, man, it's just awesome like to have you here at the house in, in Dallas and like just be able to have a conversation and get it on tape and like get this, start to get this message of what you're doing out to the world as well. Yeah, it's been fantastic, man. I, I really enjoy being here. Um, you forgot that I've been married for 15 years. Oh, dude, I'm going to have to go back and edit this because um, <laughs> I don't want <laughs> I, that could get us that could get us in trouble. if no, We don't no. have that accommodated. But yes, I didn't we, have we that on it. my stat sheet when I wrote down. But, but 15 years of marriage, yeah. seven children, I, like if there is any definition of a man that has capacity. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's so I, I found that I was saying a lot of things that I would say to my children to my sales people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had so much practice. With right. Seven children. That's like you have more reps than uh, than the average sales executive. Right. Like, like it, at all. Right. Right. It, it it definitely prepared me to lead salespeople. Like it was it was. I think that's why I got the the quick rise, and I ended up you know getting to the VP status is because of the experience that I had at home with the kids, you know? Like. Well, yeah. And that, and I would imagine that obviously your, your experience serving our country in the, in the military and uh, being a combat veteran has also had an impact on that as well. I mean, just in terms of leadership, but would you mind just kind of, we've rewind the tape. Would you mind just mm -hmm. giving us a little bit of your backstory and kind of how you've gone from, you know, where, where you're from? Cause yeah. Um, I'm from a real small town too. That's something Derek and I share, <laughs> right? Like real small. Like we were just talking about, we both played on football teams where everybody played both ways all mm -hmm. the time and on every single play. So, um, talk about that. And then, you know, just your journey from there to the military and to sales and business and executive coaching and consulting. Like, let's just hear, like, let's give, give us some of the backstory. Okay. Uh, we'll give you the quick, quick version, uh, is, uh, I, I grew up in Rock Springs, Wyoming. I played football, I wrestled, I boxed, played baseball, just tried to tried to get, get my hands in a little bit of everything. Basketball, I was pretty terrible at, so I never really went out for it. Uh, hockey, I got invited to play hockey because I was a boxer and they wanted somebody to fight. Um, but I couldn't stay on the skates, so I didn't, didn't go do that. I didn't want to go get beat up. Um, so um, from there, I... I was planning on going to college. It was like my big plan. Like, I, and then as I was going through high school, like I realized that I didn't really have the study habits that it was going to require to go to college. So I was, I, I knew that I would fail out. So I'm glad that I was conscious enough to, to not go to college, fell out and end up in prison or something, <laughs> because that's probably the route that I would have went. Um, so I went to the Marine Corps to get, uh, to grow up a little bit, get some discipline, um, figure some things out. 
And, you know, I screwed up a lot of things there too, just trying to figure out how to be a leader, how to, how to operate. Um, I went through an, an experience there where I had, uh, I'm actually getting, I'm in the middle of a blog on this, this exact story. I had a, uh, a junior Marine, I had got promoted to an NCO and a junior Marine had come up to me and was talking to me about, Hey man, don't change. Like you gotta be, just be you. You, you let everyone great as a, as a Lance corporal. Now you're a corporal, like just be you don't, don't change. And on the other end, I had my staff NCOs telling me, uh, as an NCO, you've got to be hard. You got to be. You can't be friends with these guys. You can't hang out with them. You can't can't do all these things. And I followed my staff NCOs' mm-hmm. advice. And in the process of that, I lost a lot of respect. I lost a lot of friends. Um, and I learned a ton from it um, about leadership because I failed miserably at it. Like failed miserably it was it was awful and what's um, the background on this is this what time period is this is this in it during um during the lead up and i mean obviously you're right you so, to iraq um, so it was the lead up to iraq when i got uh, when i got promoted it was it was before it was a little bit before before we ever even knew that we were going um i mean we knew we'd go eventually but we didn't have and this is 1999 no this was 2002 okay 2002 so 2002, I got promoted, and then we deployed January 2003. Um, so I'm, I got promoted. I I challenged one of my best friends, who still remains one of my best friends today. Um, he he had challenged me on something that I had told him to do, and I went at him, telling him, you know, you just do it, and you don't have to, you don't need a reason why, just do it because I said so and he pumped up on me and I told him let's go pop rank pop rank you know we take off our rank and go go to blows so we went out in the back of the tank ramp and I'm all pumped up and like angry and he's actually a lot bigger than me and probably would have beat the crap out of me but uh he was actually the cool, cooler head in the whole situation and was like, man, what are we doing? And that was like a big moment for me to like realizing what the hell am I doing? And then, you know, there was a couple other incidents and while we were in combat where I had, where I had made some decisions that, that shouldn't have happened. Like, um, for instance, I had a, a, a junior Marine come over from, um, he was on, he was, he was one of the armory guys and he had come over and was hanging out in, in our hooch, just talking. And he asked something about, you know, Oh, I've never fired a Mark 19, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, Oh yeah, just, just shoot off a couple rounds. And I, I didn't even like, like I didn't even register what I was doing. Thank God there was nobody on the other side of the wall when he, when he launched a couple rounds. But like, again, just another stupid decision. Like, what, what am I thinking? I, I wasn't thinking. I'd gotten complacent. And just learning learning from them experiences and learning, like, hey, like, I got to make better decisions. I got to be, I got to be a leader and not just a, a tyrant. 
Um, nobody wants to follow a tyrant. Nobody wants to learn from a tyrant. I mean, when, when you go in and you lead from a, from a different aspect as far as like just showing, showing them how to do it, giving them reasons behind what's happening and, and what, what it actually creates and people will work 10 times harder for you in that scenario rather than, than just telling them because I'm, I'm the boss. Yeah. And I think that's something uh, that we've all probably experienced, right. In especially in the world of sales or business where, I mean, it's even in the, it's even in the words, right. We drive sales. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to drive some sales this month uh, and it's, we got to drive our sales team. Right. And the, what that does is it, it produces short-term re results, right? We're going to drive them to right. do something. And, and, and it's, what's weird is that actually you do get results, but in the short term mm -hmm. and you don't realize there's an actual cost that comes down the line that and instead of driving someone or driving sales or troops or whatever it is, it should be leading them. Right. And that's 100%. something that, you know, we don't, you know, just, it is uh, true. Leadership is, is a rare thing. Um, yeah. What was the change, like, you know, for when you move from that to, um, and obviously you're bringing some of these things forward into future scenarios with, with the Marines, and then, like, right. what's the, what, what happened next? So, I mean, I, I started to get, uh, I mean, I started to learn. I was still, I was still a young kid. I mean, I was, I was a 20-year-old kid, 21-year-old kid, leading grown men through Iraq and coming home and... I get home and I, I decided that I was going to go try out for police department in Vegas. I was going to go, go be a cop. And, um, I, I ended up doing security while I was going through all the stuff to become a cop in Vegas. I was doing security in Mesquite. And while I was doing that, it, uh, I, I ended up getting my, um, psych evals back from the Marine Corps. They told me that I had PTSD. Then right after that, the, the Metro told me that I couldn't complete because I was a liability because I had PTSD. So then I felt crushed, felt like I had no purpose, felt like I had no training, that I'd went to the wrong place in the military being, uh, being infantry. I probably should have done something else because I came out with no skills and kept telling myself all these crazy stories about how I just would never amount to anything. So I decided I'd go back home and to Wyoming and, and be a miner with my dad and my brother and just, just go, go to default. And, um, so I got home and I put in for the mines and decided, you know, it takes a couple of months to get on there. And one of my buddies was in sales. He was doing car sales. And I, he's like, hey, man, just come over and give it a shot, man. You don't got anything else going on. Come try it out. And the first month, I absolutely hated it. I was like, man, this is not for me. You guys are all crooked. Like, I, I have not, this is not my jam. Second month, I made a little bit of money. Um, and then after that, uh, a big thing happened. I had... Uh, a customer, one of my first customers that I had sold a car to had, her husband had died in a car accident and she had come back in. She was an older lady and she couldn't, uh, it was a Pontiac Grand Dam. They had that button on the side of the shifter and she had arthritis. So she couldn't push the button and put the car in gear anymore. 
and she come in to trade it in. Well, I had no idea like how the car business worked. I didn't, I knew that I had got a big voucher on selling her a car, but I didn't know like how everything worked. And she had come in saying saying that she couldn't drive the car and she needed to trade it in for one with a column shifter that she could pull in. And I could not get her out of that car. She was so upside down in the car. And that was like a big, big turning point for me where I hated the car business and I had a personal vendetta to change the car business. So I wanted to get out but I knew that I couldn't because I, I wanted to change it. I didn't want it to be the same. I, I wanted to take care of people. Yeah. Um, so that's what I did. I got, I, I got promoted to a management and had my own store within a year and a half. Um, then they had me, they had me bouncing and opening up all of our stores, building sales teams, getting everybody ready. So I was bouncing from store to store to store. I didn't have any sort of a title besides sales manager. Hey, go to, go to this store. You're opening this one. Hey, go to this store. And that went on for, from 2005 to 2008. When I finally landed back in Rock Springs, we had bought a Ford store. And in that time I had my wife's father had died uh, that year. Um, everything was just kind of crazy, and I just told told the owners, I was like, "Hey, man, I like, I, I got, I got to stop moving. I got to create some stability yeah. around, you know, my family, and you know, a lot of things have happened." So we locked into locked into staying into Rock Springs, and. I, I locked directly into that store and when I locked into that store I that's that's when I said you know this is this is my opportunity to change things to change the sales process to operate differently and change it more into a customer experience instead of a sales process and so we started we started by taking care of customers like novel concept right like, like- very novel like just <laughs> just taking care of them like if they came in with a problem we'd fix it yeah i i mean there was the owner thought i was crazy like he was going off he was like you are insane what are you doing your store is starting you're you know you're starting out losing money and i'm like don't worry it'll 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 all come around it'll all come around and we were doing we were doing 60 cars at the time 60 cars a month and I was I was just taking care of customers. I'd get customers that come in. They'd have transmission problems. I'd put a new transmission in. I'd put a new engine in. So like, I'm t- yeah. we're not we're not talking like taking care of a, of a radiator leak. We're talking right, right. Major thing. motors, transmissions. Like we had one customer like, and this one this one I was I was actually against, and the owner had kind of caught caught fire with what I was doing, and we were in the showroom and this customer had come in they had just bought the truck the night before we literally had pictures of them with the cat with the truck and putting it in the calendar and they had come in and they're like hey we didn't notice this last night it's you know the truck's wrecked on the back and uh i was like i was looking at the pictures i was like no your truck wasn't wrecked and the owner comes in he's like oh 
don't worry about it. We'll take care of it and fix the bumper and fixed all that. And I was like, ah, I don't know, man. Like <laughs> they just went to Walmart and wrecked it <laughs> and brought it back, but we took care of it. So it was, it was like a novel idea to take care of customers. And, and so we just started there and our reputation started to grow and we bounced immediately to 80 cars a month. And then we decided, well, okay, we don't need to make thousands and thousands of dollars on every car that we sell. What if we just made it like, what, what if we just made a couple thousand on every car instead of making a thousand here, losing 10,000 here, making 10,000 here, just find out what everybody else is listing them for and put us in the top five. So that's what we did. We were like, okay, let's just get this software. It's called V auto. And we'd, get everybody else's prices within 500 miles and we'd put ours in the top five. So then customers would come in and they'd buy. So we'd take care of them. We didn't lie to them. We gave them prices, which in the car business, like, oh my God, you don't give nobody a price. Like you got all the crazy, you know, uh, word tracks of like, oh, I can't keep track of the colors, let alone the prices. And <laughs> <laughs> like, like all, all that crap, you know? So like customers are coming in and they're not getting screwed around. Like they walk in and they get a price. And then like all these stats start to come out about like, hey, customers, instead of visiting five and six dealerships are now visiting one one to one and a half and I was like well basically they just don't you know customers are doing 17 hours of research online before they ever step foot on your lot so I mean they're leaving for a reason why are they leaving they're leaving because somebody's lying to them somebody's treating them like shit like right there it's just not it's not because if if they're doing 17 hours of, of shopping and then showing up to your dealership, your price is already right. You're screwing something else up. Wow. <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a huge. That, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I went through a car buying experience recently, and and it was, um, it was it was exactly that, right? I mean, I I went to a couple of dealerships, and my experience with like the first one in particular, they did the whole thing. Well, let, you know, I got to go talk to my finance mm-hmm. manager here, sit here for a period of time, and all the whole game, right? The whole right. the whole game, and it was enough to where I it turned me off. I was like, no, I've seen I see through this, and you guys right. are doing this thing, and I'm out, and. But it was, you know, that caused me another half day of running around looking, you know, different dealerships and all that. But this model that you, um, I mean, it, I would imagine, again, very disruptive oh. to both the marketplace, right? Your, your, dealers, yeah. your dealerships grew exponentially right? relative to others. I mean, crush, crushed the competition, literally. Mm-hmm. Um I would imagine that there is a disruption in the mindset. It sounds like a disruption in the mindset of the owner because it was a, or mm-hmm. the owner of the dealerships because it was a different than the way they, and then relative to the sales teams. I mean, this must've been a different, like when you're starting to hire sales teams, I had to replace my whole sales team. That's what I was going to ask. So what did that look like? How did so you, how, I, how, I took away this, the title of sales salesman to start off with, and I made them customer experience specialists. So their whole job was just to give the customer an experience. And then every customer that came in dealt with a manager for, for the paperwork portion because there wasn't any of the, there, was, there wasn't all the crap. You know, we did, we, we'd, 
we'd confirm the price because people want to confirm that they're making a good decision. Should we show them all the prices of and where the vehicles were at? Like, hey, here's where all the other vehicles were at. So we'd educate them, give them documentation. Documentation was the new negotiation, proving that it was a good deal. And then, you know, they just... They just wanted to. They just wanted to make sure they were making good decisions. So one of our big things that we led with was, if you're not buying a car from us, we want to make sure that you're educated enough to not make a mistake buying a car. So mm-hmm. we would we would give you all the knowledge, give you all the tools, show you where to where to shop for it. We'd even shop for it for you and try to get it for you. And if we couldn't get it for you, then we'd give you all the tools to go and negotiate your deal somewhere else. So value in advance of exchange. Absolutely. Right. Uh, this is, I mean, it's a, again, novel concept. If you educate people, if you are willing to give them, give, 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 mm-hmm. and truly, I mean, from a position of where you might, I mean, you might literally educate them so well that they might not buy from you. They might right. go, hey, you know what? Actually, we just changed our mind because we can see that this other car is a different model and you guys don't carry that, but right and a different price and it's right down the road and oh my gosh great mm-hmm. but for every one of those that did that i you know i can only assume there's nine that stayed with you right and and the people that did go buy somewhere else usually would come back feeling guilty give us a tip send us all the all or the customers every, all their friends tell right. everyone to come to us like they were all they were all about us they wanted everything they wanted us to succeed and like it was, it was really cool when the customers got behind us because I mean, we bounced from that 80 cars a month up to 250 cars a month. Wow. Yeah. And we're in little rock Springs, Wyoming, 30,000 people. People were going out of their way to come to you guys. Yes. We had people traveling in. We had people calling. Like I had friends calling from different States that would come fly in, buy a car, drive home. It's literally fish jumping in the boat. Oh, absolutely. Fish jumping in the boat. That was that was preceded by the ability to walk in the faith and lose money mm-hmm. at the beginning uh, of this model, um, but to walk in faith that if you just continue to invest in doing the right thing, great customer experience, and telling the truth, right, and education, that over a long enough continuum, it's going to all come back like tenfold. Or more. Oh yeah. The other thing that I did that, that really was a hit was I took all the sales managers out of the back. There was no one hiding. They were all out on the showroom. So their computers were out on the showroom. There was no man behind the curtain, no yeah. wizard of Oz back, back with the big right. scary thing out there. It was, it was, they were all out there in person in front of the customers. And I myself talk to every customer that came in. I would tell them hello. I would I would make sure that they were being taken care of. I would ask them if they needed anything. Like there was I used to <laughs> the people used to laugh because I I I was I was the highest paid guy there serving people coffee. <laughs> I would go get people coffee. I'd get them I put in a, a little snack bar to where people always, you know, they could get their snacks. We had TVs, we had video games, we had things to entertain the kids. It was always it was, I, I had so many customers that would just come down to just hang out and drink coffee. Wow. Yeah. So this, this, there's a couple of things going on there. Um, you know, and one of these is this idea of you just created an environment mm-hmm. where 
the frame was saying something different. I mean, this is what, if in case you don't know this, as if you're going in to buy a car, it's all about power framing, right? right. And it's a frame of lack of knowledge. It's a frame of the guy is behind the curtain and the manager and he's in control and I can't do anything. And, and then you have to go into his, his office. So you're inside of his frame right. and all of this stuff. And it sounds like you just flipped that all in its head and you're like, right. no, we're not doing that. And that, that, was in alignment with the mindset that you had of customer experience. Like, let's just engineer all of this stuff. I'm just thinking about, I mean, imagine in whatever, whatever industry you're in and if you're in sales, I mean, just, just imagine taking this model and what would it look like to be radically transparent? Right. About what you do, what in your case, what your competitors were doing, mm-hmm. which of course it's a little, can be a little bit easier when you've got the computer that you can tell you all the prices. But even then, there are things that you as a salesperson know about the field because you've competed against people and you've you know done you you know you should know who your competitors are. You should know how they price. You should know know their models. You should know all of those things. Um, you know what would happen if you actually were willing to say, look here's how everybody works mm-hmm. and here's generally what people price and here's where we are. I mean, it would be a very different and interesting conversation than most of the time what we're having. Most of these things are kept in the dark, right? Right. And, and you don't, you don't have to be the cheapest, right? You don't have to be the cheapest. You just have to provide an experience that's above and beyond anyone else's. With the sales experience being part of that, right? Right. It's not even before they get the experience of the car. Right. It's what was the experience during the sales process. Mm-hmm. And that itself can be, a. I mean, in your case, it was. It was the massive differentiator. Oh, absolutely. For, you could argue, a commodity, right? That mm-hmm. is the thing. That is where the value, the value was built in that you're, and this is something, again, if you think about your industry, if you're in a place where there's other competitors that basically have the exact same thing you have, you know that the Part of the challenge is differentiation, but I'd have you consider that your experience and the way you engage that sales process can be the differentiator. What they feel during the sales process, how you follow up versus the other guys, how you listen versus the other guys, how you document and educate and inform and consult and coach and create space, all of those things can be the differentiator between you and the other guys because every time you go do that you then set the bar that somebody else if they do anything less than that right they're out exactly yeah we there the other dealerships in town that were selling a hundred plus a month were selling in the 30s and 40s a month when we were selling the 250 that's incredible like what did you have a what was the reaction like did you they they attacked us a lot it, it was a it was a constant attack on us and and then finally they conformed and started to change the way that they did business and that was a really cool thing to watch yeah because that was back to your original mission mm-hmm. right when it wasn't really about changing one car car dealership right it was about changing the whole car business and now you've got all these car businesses all the all the all the dealerships that are still doing it the old way. And that's why like Vroom and Carvana and all these other things that you can buy a car completely online are existing is because people don't want to be lied to. They just want, 
they just want to buy a car. <laughs> That's it. That's, you know, drop the mic. You have just got the massive sales insight from the Sales Warrior podcast. There it is right there. <laughs> People don't want to be lied to. No. That's the secret. That's keys to the kingdom. But we all know that we have all done it. Right. We all know that our competitors are doing it. We all know that for, in large part, the marketing that can surround a lot of what our customers are experiencing is not, you know, is always the misleading or confusing or hype. It mm-hmm. isn't really truth. And so we know like, you know, that's the thing. If you can be, and we, you know, Derek and I share a, a common, um, a common coach, Coach Sam Falsafi, who has a fantastic quote that we quote all the time, which is the most powerful man in any room or any negotiation is the one with nothing to hide and the one with the truth. Right. And so then there's a, there's the, there's the question of how do you become that man or business? Right. Because that takes a whole other set of conversations to get there. Oh man. So let's talk, go back. I mean, you know, you've, you've had your experience in the military, you've led men in combat, you made mistakes, you can, you come out and you find yourself, um, one could say providentially in this place of sales. Right. And then, and then you find yourself in a, in, in a place where you've had something where you felt like the environment is out of sync with your core values and your core um, belief in the way people should be treated. So you actually took it as a what a personal vendetta. Mm-hmm. So there was fire behind this right. to go change stuff. And you started doing this and all of a sudden the success happens, like massive success. Right. Like you're big time executive in the automotive industry, dominating a market, shifting people's businesses, um, being you know called in other people to come do the same thing and be a consultant. And so you're like crushing business and sales and money and all this kind of stuff. How is this affecting the rest of your life at that time? Oh man, <laughs> that was that was the the big downfall. Was uh, 2016 around this time, right around this time. As a matter of fact, almost to the day, I had uh, decided that I was going to commit suicide. That's what we've got for you today. Please join us on the next podcast as we continue Derek's story on the Sales Warrior Podcast, a conversation about dominating your marketplace without sacrificing your body, your marriage, your children, or your soul.